Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to give me a call, is 877-973-7425. Okay, I want to do this first. Somewhat more lighthearted than than dealing with the Chinese. We're going to get to the Chinese. We are. Already entitled to this hour of the program, uh, we aren't ready for war with China. So I have to talk about it, or I got to change everything up, which I'm not. But I want to talk about this first because I love this story. Do you guys know what an Apple AirTag is? I've got some. People have been putting them in their luggage and realizing that airliners are lying to them. So an AirTag is a little device. Uh, it's about the size, a little bit bigger than a Mentos candy. It looks like a Mentos candy. You know what those are, those white uh, candies. And you can put them, like I, I attach one to my camera. I've got one on my keys. I've got one on my uh, backpack. Uh, I've got a spare one I haven't figured out a use for yet, but I think I know now. Uh, and I can get on my iPhone and pull up a, the Find My app. And it will show me where all my devices are. Now, the coolest little thing about it is that these dev- these little AirPod, Air, Air tags are so precise that when your phone detects one in the area, it will generate an arrow and point in the direction of the device. And it can even tell you how high it is from you, how low to the ground it is from you. Like, for example, I, I've got one in uh, my office right now where I am. I can go to the Find My tab. I can click on the, I'm sure you all wanted me to do this, click on the items. I can click on my backpack. I can say Find It, click the arrow, and then it does this little fancy circle, and it says, oh, it's it's seven feet from you. Oh, it's it's in this vicinity, and then it points down, and, and there I go. And then I can push a little button. It can make a little sound. And I can find my AirTag, which is attached to my bag, so I know where my bag is. Now, here's the extra cool little part. What these AirTags do, what makes them so special and so useful, if there are so many people in the world who have Apple devices, Apple laptops, Apple iPads, Apple iPhones. If anyone walks past your AirTag, if anybody walks past it, and has their iPhone on or their laptop or their iPad on, the AirTag will bounce a signal, relay a signal through their device to Apple. Just say, here I am, Apple, here I am. It doesn't cost them any data. It just happens automatically. And so if you drop an AirTag on the street and people walk past and they have iPhones, you can find precisely where your AirTag is because of all the other people who've walked around. So people are putting these air tags in their luggage now. And United Airlines and a few others have tried to say you can't do it. People are doing it anyway. And the reason the airlines don't like it is because you can see where your bags are because so many airport employees have Apple iPhones. When they walk past your suitcase, the air tag in the suitcase triggers a signal. So for example, my last one, I can now keep it in my bag and I can see precisely within just a, a a couple feet of where it is at the airport at all times because so many people have an iPhone. I know, here's my AirTag uh, in my suitcase. This is where my suitcase is. And zoom in on the map and say, oh, it's out on the runway right now. 
must be on the plane. Or uh, it is, it's between buildings. It's headed to baggage claim. You can pretty precisely target it. So people have been doing this. And there was a story a couple weeks ago where someone, they flew, I can't remember the airliner, and so I don't want to guess one and shame it. But they flew on an airline. They lost their bag. The airline said the bag had been left at the airport. They had forgotten it at the airport. Well, this person had an air tag in their luggage. And when they pulled it up to see where at the airport it might be, they had left Chicago and they had flown to London and their air tag showed that their luggage was in Hawaii. So the airline had put the luggage on the wrong plane and sent it to Hawaii. And when this person went back to baggage claim and showed it to their uh, airliner, the airliner was pretty indignant, by the way. Uh, the person was made out to be the bad guy, but they had to recognize and admit that they had made a major screw-up and had lied along the way, which is why some airlines don't want you to use air tags anymore. They don't want you to um, – they, they, they flat out don't want you to be able to do it uh, because they don't want you to see their screw-ups. Well, th- this is the stage. I-, I had to set the stage for you to understand the useful application of these air tags. Reuters, not exactly an entity that I think would have the gumption to do this, but Reuters decided to buy a bunch of air tags and put them in the soles of running shoes that Dow Chemical claimed were going to be recycled. Let me read you <laughs> Let me read you this. At a rundown market on the Indonesian island of Batam, a small location tracker was beeping from the back of a crumbling secondhand shoe store. A Reuters reporter followed the high-pitched ping to a mound of old sneakers and began digging through the pile. There they were, a pair of blue Nike running shoes with a tracking device hidden in one of the soles. These familiar shoes had traveled by land, then sea, and crossed an international border to end up in this heap. They weren't supposed to be here. Five months earlier, in July 2022, Reuters had given the shoes to a recycling program spearheaded by the Singapore government and a U.S. petrochemicals giant, Dow Inc. In media releases and a promotional video posted online, the effort promised to harvest the rubberized soles and midsoles of donated shoes, then grind down the material for use in building new playgrounds and running tracks in Singapore. Dow, a major producer of chemicals used to make plastics and other synthetic materials, in the past has launched recycling efforts that have fallen short of their stated aims. Reuters wanted to follow a donated shoe from start to finish to see if it did, in fact, end up in the new athletic surfaces in Singapore, or at least made it as far as a local recycling facility for shredding. To that end, the news organization cut a shallow cavity into the interior sole of one of the blue Nikes, placed a Bluetooth tracker inside, then concealed the device by covering it with the insole. The tracker was synced to a smartphone app that showed where the shoe moved in real time. Within weeks, the blue Nikes had left the prosperous city-state of Singapore and were moving south by sea across the narrow Singapore Strait to Batam Island. The app showed Reuters decided to put trackers in additional 10 pairs of donated shoes to see if West Waypoints had been a fluke. It wasn't. None of the 11 pairs of footwear donated by Reuters 
turned into exercise paths or kids' parks. Instead, nearly all of them ended up in the hands of Yak Impex, a Singaporean secondhand goods exporter. The manager said his firm had been hired by a waste management company involved in the recycling program to retrieve shoes from the donation bins for delivery. But that's not what happened to the shoes donated by Reuters. Ten pair moved first from the donation bins to the export facilities, then to Indonesia. They used Apple AirTags, you can see in in the pictures. It was the Apple AirTag that they used to be able to track these things. And it turns out that what was happening is the shoes that were meant for recycling instead got sold to secondhand stores to poor people. The poor people wanting better shoes, wearing used shoes. Now, a couple of things here. I don't fault a company deciding to sell shoes that have already been used, that are beat up, banged up, and is used to really poor people who need better shoes than what they had. They can't afford brand new shoes, so they buy uh, they, they, they buy these secondhand shoes. I, I don't have a problem with that. The problem I have is that the company and the country said that these were going to be recycled. So you had a bunch of, of, of good liberals donate their Nikes expecting them to become playground surfaces in a far-off world, and now those poor virtue signalers are going to be up all night. I mean, they, they, they wanted to participate in this program. They thought they were going to save the world. They were going to save the planet. And now, instead, some poor is wearing their shoes instead of some playground having their shoes converted. The outrage of it all, the real outrage here, of course, is the company virtue signaling that it was going to recycle. You know, so we got a recycling bin at our house, and I constantly get in trouble with my wife because my philosophy is if there's something that can and should be recycled, I put it in the recycling bin. And my wife is like, no, no, you can't do that. Only select things can go in the recycling bin. So when we first started this endeavor, glass bottles could go in. So when my buddies come over on Sunday and we share a bottle of bourbon and it is empty, put it in the recycling bin, and it gets recycled. Not anymore. You're not allowed to recycle glass. The wooden boxes from from the cigar boxes. So we have bourbon and cigars on Sunday night. We'll empty a box of cigars over time. You can't put that in recycling. Nope. You uh, You can put in cardboard. You can put in milk jugs. You cannot put in plastic bags. You're not allowed to put in plastic bags. I might do it anyway when my wife's not looking. So you can do the the gallon milk jugs. You can do the recycling for cardboard. You can't do styrofoam. God forbid your styrofoam winds up in the recycling. They may not take your recycling. Now, I've got two trash cans and my recycling bin. And sometimes the recycling bin doesn't hold everything. And so I'll put the rest of the recycling in the trash bin and just let them haul it to the trash dump. After all, it's probably all going to the same place anyway if we just really admit it. But they won't pick up my trash if they see I've got cardboard boxes in it. So if I have cardboard boxes in it, I've got to put that in a trash bag so they can't see the cardboard boxes to be able to take the trash. And if I put a glass bottle, God forbid, I put a piece of recyclable wood in the in the recycling, they get mad at me. It's the most convoluted system possible. All I want to do is do good by the environment and the environmentalists keep making it complicated. 
And then you got these corporations that do their virtue signaling of, we're going to recycle people's tennis shoes and we're going to turn them into parks. We're going to turn them into exercise and recreation equipment, playgrounds in Singapore for the poor. And instead, what do they do? They sell the shoes to poor people. They sell them to poor people. I don't have a problem with them selling them to poor people, except you people virtue signaled that you were going to do this. You decided you wanted plaudits from the, the environmentalists. Why? Because Dow Chemical is a chemical company. And they engage in the production of plastics and fossil fuels. And so they're bad. And so they virtue signal about what they're going to do. And then the process, they don't do what they say they're going to do. They get all sorts of praise for not doing what they said they were going to do. And all the rest of the environmentalists make it really, really difficult for us to even bother to recycle. If I want to recycle, like I I don't like the single-use grocery bags. I think they're gross. You forget to wash them. They are disease carriers. Just give me the plastic bag at the grocery store. I use the plastic bags for other stuff. I use the plastic bags for picking up the dog poop. I use the plastic bags as trash cans and little trash cans. I get multiple uses out of the plastic bags. I'm happy to take the plastic bags off the grocery store's hand. But when the time comes for me to recycle the excess plastic bags, you know I can't use my county recycling program to recycle the plastic bags. I got to carry them to a drop-off point. My drop-off point has become the trash can. I'm happy to save the planet, just not inconveniently. Maybe that makes it my problem, but everybody else is like that too. I'm just willing to admit it. Hello there. Welcome. Uh, Let me see. I want to go jump to the phones here. Let me go to Matt next. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well. So to add to your, just a quick comment, add to your uh, recycling situation, I used to work for a trash company. And once in a while, they would send me on the recycling route. And that stuff ends up in a landfill at quite a few companies. They just don't tell anyone. You know, I have heard that from multiple people that so much of what is recycled actually winds up in the landfill. Uh, and I'm fascinated yep. by that, the number of people who don't realize that. But it, you're, you are not alone, Matt. I, I've heard this from multiple people, including people who work for the recycling company, that some of the easy stuff is recycled, and most of it is biodegradable anyway, so they throw it in the landfill. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cardboard and a lot of plastic ends up in a landfill, even though it's supposed to be going somewhere else. Yeah, people have no idea. Listen, thank you for that. I It, it confirms what, what other people have told me as well. And, I, y'all, I've talked to people at recycling companies, and there have been plenty of exposés on television as well about this, that what you think is getting recycled winds up in the landfill. It doesn't actually get recycled. And it just a deeply dishonest system of virtue signaling for the people who really care about the climate, I guess. I'm willing to – so – you know, I, I, I'm an evangelical, not not to get into the theology here, but I, I feel like I've got an obligation uh, just based on my faith to be a good steward of the planet. And a, a good steward of the planet means that I shouldn't go out of my way to pollute the planet. So I'm happy to recycle. We got a recycling bin and we use it. But I don't want to go out of my way to degrade my family's life in order to save a planet that I don't think is really in as much danger as environmentalists say. You know, I'm down here in Georgia, and Plant Vogel is the only new nuclear power plant in the country. 
If the environmentalists really were concerned about saving the planet, they would want to build new nuclear power plants instead of solar panel farms that uh, take out farmland and and, uh, reduce the amount of of cropland and farmland for cattle and the like. But they don't want to do that. This plant Vogel has just started colliding atoms now, getting its reactor going, which is kind of a big deal because it's the only active new nuclear project in the entire country. France is now trying to get back into the nuclear reactor game. France used to be legendary. It had more nuclear power plants than any other country, and it stopped building them. And all of its institutional knowledge is gone now. All the people who built the original reactors are dead. And they got to get back in the game. But some of this virtue signaling, like, I, I wouldn't mind having a solar panel on my house. I really wouldn't. I'm not in a position in my neighborhood in order to have solar panels. A buddy of mine lives out in Texas, uh, and he got an offer the other day for solar panels. He's got a big farm, and they could put solar panels in to power his home and and put excess onto the grid, and he was stunned by how cheap the financing is. It largely pays for itself, which is part of the gimmick. It's just, it's interesting to me how uh, there are options out there, depending on where you live, to be able to do some of this stuff. But the demands of society around us, like the communities that insist that you use reusable uh, bags. You know, during COVID, it turned out that those reusable bags are harbingers of germs, including COVID. And all these states that passed laws getting rid of single-use plastic bags suddenly were passing emergency orders, bringing them back because it was safer to use the single-use plastic bags. I don't, I'm, I'm just stunned by the people who don't, and you know, particularly when you have little kids. Do you know what the 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 single use grocery bag from the grocery store is best used for? Putting dirty diapers in, bagging them up and throwing them away as as little trash cans for dirty diapers. And I these environmentalists they just make our life worse. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. If you want on the program, let's go to the phones. Bob, you you're going to be up code? next. Bob. Yes, they're closed. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know. (laughs) Bob, you're on the phone, Bob. Hey, Eric, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. (laughs) Welcome. Well, I was listening to about recycling. Uh I live in a county just south of Fayette, or south of Atlanta, and they always recycle. Well, now they only take cardboard and steel or metal. And the other factor is, I find it rather hypocritical. Here we are big on energy, and we've got windmills that we're putting up all over. Their blades are composite. They have, from what I last read, a life limit. And when the life limits are met, they have to replace them, and they can't recycle them. So they just chop them up and bury them. I've heard that. By the way, have you seen what happens when these things fail? It's impressive. Oh. I mean, they can catch on oh. fire and blow up. Well, not only that, but there's a lot of uh, lubricants in them. So what's going to happen when these start failing out in the ocean? Right. Once they've what's chopped up all the seagulls. Yes. Uh, it, it they really... just don't care. No. In fact, you know what's so funny is there's a, there's a story I meant to talk about last week in Norway They built a huge windmill farm, and it turns out that Norwegian Supreme Court uh, decided it was on indigenous land. And so the environmental protesters 
protested. They brought Greta Thunberg to scowl at everybody for building windmills on indigenous land to get rid of fossil fuels. And the environmentalists decided it was more important to protest on behalf of the of the indigenous people, the Eskimos, whatever you want to call them, than it was to save the windmills, uh, the well, priorities also, of the environmentalists. I also did a little searching because they talked about, I, I hit an article where they talked about the, the largest solar farm that's been built. And I mean, I think it was like 50 square miles or 100 square miles. And I thought, well, what's the ecological impact? Well, then I thought, and I said, I wonder, they, they, uh, how what's happening to all the heat? I found that they reflect a third of the energy they receive back out into the atmosphere is heat. <laughs> so, so now here we are heating the atmosphere by the very thing that's supposed to save it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much of it. When you actually think about it, doesn't make sense that it's all like by faith. They. They believe these things by faith, and it just doesn't work. Bob, thank you very much for the phone call. I appreciate it. It just, it's some of this stuff is so nonsensical, and it, it puts them. You know, I, I was watching the the Chris Rock thing um, the other night. Uh, you know, he was talking about uh, the racist yoga pants that he's he went through the mall and uh, walked past a Lululemon, and it had a sign that we uh, we oppose uh, intolerance bigotry, hate, racism. He's like, you're, you're selling $80 non-racist yoga pants. I'd like the $20 racist yoga pants, please. <laughs> and then he starts talking about just the virtue signaling of all these people, the environmentalists and the like, and uh, so much of it doesn't make any sense, and it's all so deeply contradictory, but they feel good, and that's what matters. Having having discussed this with you now, we're, we're going to feel a little bad. Because you got to know about this one. Uh, President Xi of China uh, had a speech uh, yesterday, and he accused the United States of instigating a policy of containment, encirclement, and suppression of China and warned that uh, we could be headed towards conflict with China. And then... China's foreign minister today held a press conference and he suggested that uh, the U.S. wants containment and suppression of China and, quote, if the U.S. side does not hit the brakes but continues to speed down the wrong path, no amount of guardrails can prevent derailing or crash and there will be a conflict and confrontation. Essentially, say war is coming. The Chinese want a war. The Chinese think they can take us. And now there's this kind of scary story that has dropped in the Wall Street Journal. Here's, here's the headline. Get straight to the point. The U.S. is not yet ready for the era of great power conflict. Since 2018, the military has shifted to focus on China and Russia after decades fighting insurgencies, but it still faces challenges to produce weapons and come up with new ways of waging war. This is by Michael Gordon. Uh, Clint, you know, Return from a deployment in Baghdad in the spring of 2018 to a new assignment and a staggering realization. A classified Pentagon war game simulated a Chinese push to take control of the South China Sea. 
The Air Force officer, charged with plotting the service's future, learned that China's well-stocked missile force had rained down on the bases and ports the U.S. relied on in the region, turning American combat aircraft and munitions into smoldering ruins in a matter of days. My response was, holy crap, we're going to lose this fight if we fight like this, he recalled. The officer, now a lieutenant general, began posting yellow sticky notes on the walls of his closet-sized office at the Pentagon, listing the problems to solve if the military was to have a chance of blunting an attack from China. I did not have an idea how to resolve them, says the Lieutenant General Hinote. I was stuck, struck how quickly China advanced and how our long-held doctrines of warfare were becoming obsolete. Five years ago, after decades fighting insurgencies in the Middle East and Central Asia, the U.S. started tackling the new era of great power competition with China and Russia. It's not yet ready, and there are major obstacles. Despite an annual defense budget that's risen to more than $800 million, the shift has been delayed by a preoccupation with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the pursuit of big-ticket weapons that didn't pan out, internal U.S. government debates over budgets and disagreements over the urgency of the threat from Beijing, according to current and former U.S. defense officials and commanders. Continuing concerns in the Middle East, especially about Iran and the Russian involvement in Ukraine, have absorbed resources and attention. Then there's corporate consolidation across the American defense industry that's left the Pentagon with fewer arms manufacturers. Shipyards are struggling to produce the submarines the Navy says it needs to counter China's naval fleet. Weapons designers are rushing to catch up with China and Russia in developing hypersonic missiles. We have fallen behind. We diverted our attention to the Middle East. We thought we could multitask and we couldn't. We focus so much on necessary fights against terrorists. We were dismissive of the big fights to come. Let me read you this, also from the Wall Street Journal. The U.S. military success in the Middle East and Afghanistan came in part from air superiority, a less well-equipped foe, and the ability to control the initiation of the war. A conflict with China would be very different. The U.S. would be fighting with its Asian bases and ports under attack, and would need to support its forces over long and potentially vulnerable supply routes. If a conflict with China gave Russia the confidence to take further action in Eastern Europe, the U.S. and its allies would need to fight a two-front war. China and Russia are both nuclear powers. Action could extend to the Arctic, where the U.S. lags behind Russia in icebreakers and ports as Moscow appears ready to welcome Beijing's help in the region. The world is realigning rapidly around us. China and Russia are pursuing a network of authoritarian regimes that do not share our values to compete and collide with us. There are some in this country who embrace a level of isolationism that would say, let them have it, we don't need it. And yet what they forget is that so much of the world is aligned towards us that we get preferential treatment and trade deals that would all go away. Your costs would meaningfully go up. You think inflation is bad now? You let China be dominant. Our costs for everything go up dramatically if the Chinese get their way and we become second fiddle to China. Unfortunately, there are also a lot of people in Washington and Hollywood and the like, our cultural trend makers in the media, 
who believe that our days are numbered and it's China's time to rise. I'm personally in the camp that China's already beginning to decline. I don't think President Xi and, and the foreign minister in China have to saber rattle about conflict with the United States if China is on the rise. They just naturally rise and, and we begin to be pushed aside. They're trying to push us aside, which they wouldn't have to do if they are rising. They're trying to get ahead of the line because they know they won't have a long time at the head of the line unless they can get there and, and with claws hold on to their place. But we've made it easier for them than we should. We're still more capable than the Chinese and the Russians. The Chinese have their own obstacles and problems, and also their manufacturing is not as good as ours because in China they're a communist system and no one gets rewarded for being whistleblowers when something breaks and so nobody says anything. They've got bigger problems than us. However, however, we have supply chain issues. We've given Ukraine so many of our weapons and we don't have replacement capabilities yet because our supply chains are off. We're still dependent on Taiwan for a lot of chips. If Taiwan goes under because of China, that hurts us. A lot of this stuff has to be brought back home. It is a national security issue. The chips issue is a national security issue. It's not a trade issue. We are headed into a destabilized world where China in alliance with Russia and Iran, maybe with Brazil, maybe with Mexico, with the Venezuelans, they want to realign the world towards their interests, and they see us as leading the opposite faction, and so they're coming for us. And our policymakers continue to dither in Washington, D.C. Our policymakers really don't have any idea what they are up against. Remember, it was Barack Obama who got rid of the two-war doctrine. The two-war doctrine said we should be able to fight two full World War II-sized wars on two fronts at the same time and win them both. Barack Obama changed that to where we could fight two, win one, and then win the other, but we couldn't win two at the same time. He weakened the military. China now has a bigger navy than the United States because of the policies put in place by the Obama administration. We can wish for peace in our times. The Chinese don't. We can wish for good trade relationships. The Chinese don't. The Chinese have a lot of internal problems, a lot of domestic instability. And the Chinese response is to blame the United States and say we caused those problems to distract from the fact of Chinese leadership failures. That's what they're doing right now. The COVID policies in China were such a disaster, they're having to blame the United States. They can't accept responsibility. And we should recognize that that leads to an end point. At some point, you agitate enough to your citizens that you're stronger than the United States, bigger than the United States, more powerful than the United States. The people in China are going to want the Chinese government to put up or shut up, and they're going to have to put up if they don't want a whole-scale rebellion, revolution against the Communist Party masters. They, in their approach, are leading us to war. We have time. We need to be better prepared. Unfortunately for all of us, I'm not sure that our supposed moral superior betters in Washington, D.C. are actually equipped, prepared, or even thinking about the need to really get ahead of the Chinese. And that's what worries me. We should be very vocal with our leadership that they got to step it up. Right now, I want you to step up to Eden Pure. They're 
Thunderstorm is a great air purifier. Listen, it's filterless. You don't have to buy a subscription for filters that come every month from Eden Pure. You just wipe it out on occasion. It's got an electrostatic plate. You go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put in the discount code Eric, my first name, E-R-I-C-K. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. Now, these things, you can hold them in your hand. They're slightly bigger than your hand. They're lightweight. You can plug it into your car with a USB cord or just plug it directly into the wall. And it wipes out the dust and the pollen, the mold, the mildew, but where it really shines is as an odor eliminator. So you fire this thing up and it wipes out odors. I had one with me when I was in Las Vegas. Thankfully, didn't have to use it, but the last time I was there, I had to because someone was smoking in the room next to me and it filtered in my room and it stunk. The Eden Pure took care of it. When I'm in rental cars or hotel rooms that stink, I can fire it up and eliminate those odors. It gets rid of pet odors, litter box odors, frying, cooking odors, uh, smoke odors. It gets rid of noxious, musty odors. It just works. And you can get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200 and you get free shipping. All you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. You use the discount code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at EdenPureDeals.com. They'll send you three Eden Pure Thunderstorms, free shipping. Begin wiping out the odors that you don't like. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Y'all, I read the most bizarre, tragic, awful story this weekend, and so now I get to share it with you. <laughs> there's, there's some woman out there who she she runs a cult and so there was the story it was in the daily beast let, let me just um read you the beginning of this jason and jennifer Varis had been together since high school we were a loving family we were a happy family we barely had any issues throughout our 23 years in a relationship jason said until she brought liana shanti into our family everything changed Soon after, Jennifer started following a mysterious online guru who's built a following of women around the world. She teaches them to cut ties with their quote-unquote family cult and to save their children from a ruling class of evil reptilian creatures who created the COVID-19 scamdemic, a Luciferian plot to harvest innocent souls. First, Jason said, Jennifer changed her diet, raw, vegan, and juice cleanses. Then she started spending hours each day meditating alone in the backyard, listening to her spiritual teacher's audio classes. Over the next few months, Jennifer became increasingly paranoid and started espousing conspiracy theories. The COVID vaccine changed people's DNA, she told him, and people who got the shot could shed the vaccine on others. She insisted they had to cut ties with anyone who'd been vaccinated. Jason said she kept telling him they needed to leave California. Soon the government would force every unvaccinated adult and child into concentration camps. They had to move to Florida where they would be safe. At Jason's birthday party in May of 2021, his mother shared she had been vaccinated. Jennifer was furious and accused her husband of knowingly exposing her children to vaccine shedding. A week later, he returned home to find his sons alone and his 15-year-old daughter gone. This woman is, yeah, th this is just whack. Liana, somebody, Liana Shanti is this person's name, and they're like a growing number of people around the country are saying that you, you listen to this woman, she's highly persuasive, and it's a cult, and, and she convinces people all sorts of just bizarre things, and the chief thing she does is she convinces people to separate from their families. 
and convinces them their family is actually a cult and that she will deprogram them and leads them through all sorts of wild things. She claims she's been talking to Jesus since he was two years old and is the primary vessel for his teachings. I just got to tell you, you know, this goes back to the G.K. Chesterton line that the danger of not believing in God is not that you'll believe in nothing, but that you'll believe in anything. It's just one of those those things. It, it, this this is um, this is one of her Instagram stories. Why do you think there's rampant sexual abuse on this planet? It's because it creates the deepest of core wounds, and for the majority of people, the inner child has repressed these memories. Make no mistake, the trans agenda is Luciferian. It inherently tells you that your divine body is not perfect. It is. The agenda is the height of evil. As I've shared many times before, the cult you were raised in, your family cult, is not interested in your healing. Now, that first part is a lot of stuff that that you and I might agree with. It's the last part. Your family is a cult. It's just it's 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 weird. It's it's and there's more and more of this happening too. That's the other point of this is there's a lot. This is way more common now than I thought. Uh, and, and this article documented numerous stories of people who they fall into some podcast or something, and the person's a cult leader, and they leave their families, they leave their kids, they want to start a new life. It's 